All right, why don't, you, why don't you go ahead and start to make your way back to your seats. You act like we haven't been doing this the last three days, you know. I haven't seen you since last night, you know. It's, how you doing? <laughs> oh, man, you know, it was actually, uh, we haven't done the Reach Missions Conference in a couple years just because we switched uh, the time of year that we started doing our certainty conference, which is just a, a Bible conference where we tackle some, some doctrines and stuff like that. And we switched the time of year, that, and we just had so much going on, and there was a couple years where we had missions summer and missions month in July where we had missionaries in. And, and so I haven't done it in a couple years, so this is really cool that we're relaunching our annual missions conference because it was actually at a Reach Missions Conference here at FBC in November of 2012 that uh, I surrendered my life to the Lord to, to full-time missions. And at that time, I didn't know if he would ever send me. Um, but I'll tell you what, when I was, you know, s- kneeling there on the steps right here after the service, I just, I felt like I was holding part of me back from God. Like, God, I'm, I'm, I, I thought I was all in, but what I didn't realize was that I'm only in if it's, if it's comfortable, if it's doing what I want to do, if it's, if it's being a pastor at my home church or, or, or whatever it is, I just, I realized at that conference I'd never even considered global missions. I had only ever considered being a pastor because I thought it was fun. And so I, in 2012, I surrendered my life to missions here on these steps at a Reach Missions Conference, and it made a big difference in my life, and I hope that it's making a big difference in your life as well. And so tonight as we wrap up this conference, I want to pose a question to you. Um, that I want you to think about throughout the message tonight, and we will come back to at the end. And that question is this. What should my response be to what God has taught me at this missions conference? What should my response be to what God has taught me at this missions conference? And we honestly, we need to all ask ourselves this question. Why? Because tomorrow morning we'll come. We'll be really tired. But we'll go back to work, right? We'll go back to school. We'll be stressed by our common daily responsibilities. And if we don't consider tonight what our response to God's teaching at this conference needs to be, what's going to happen is we will sink right back into normal life. We'll sink right back to where we were last week, like nothing ever happened. Oh, sure. We'll, we'll remember, oh, that was really cool. We had a lot of fun. We talked about missions. But if we don't think about what our response needs to be to what God is confronting us with at this conference, we're just going to go right back to normal tomorrow morning or by this weekend. And so I hope this conference thus far, with the different speakers we had, by the way, let me just say thanks to, to Brett Bartlett and Cezanne. Can we just give them a hand really quick? They've been amazing. And, and I hope that through the different speakers that God, has, through his word, has made you uncomfortable. Uncomfortable with your present state or your present contribution to the Great Commission. Because, friends, we must never become comfortable with our current efforts. A comfortable Christian, please hear me, a comfortable Christian has never and will never accomplish anything great for the Lord. Never will. Any man or woman who's ever accomplished anything great or lasting for the Lord has at some point in their life become uncomfortable with their current state and made a change. Comfort is direct opposition to God being able to use you for the Great Commission. Comfort will keep you from being used by God. You know, all Christians can be used of God to fulfill the Great Commission. Do you know that? 
He desires for you to be used by him for the Great Commission. The problem is most Christians today don't desire to be used by God. They just want to be amused by God. To be Sunday morning churchgoers, entertained by a church's many programs and children's services. services. They, they, they desire to be able to tell people, oh, my family's at the church every time the doors are open. Okay, great, so you go to church. But do you want God to use you? Or are you just amused by playing the church game and keeping up this fake facade in front of all your friends? That's the question. I hope that if you're at church on a Tuesday night on the last night of a missions conference that you want to be used by God. I get it. But what I want to do before we get started tonight is, is pray and ask God to confront us, to make us uncomfortable. Not because we're, we're doing everything incredibly exactly wrong, and maybe you are, I don't know. But because whatever I'm doing right now, I can do better. I can seek God more. I can draw closer to him. And maybe I've become complacent. Maybe I've become comfortable in my current state. And I need God to make me uncomfortable so that I can give more of me to him. So that I can truly be all in even though maybe I thought I was all in before. Let's ask God to reveal that to us tonight. Lord, I come to you and, and God, I know that I have nothing to say without this book. So Father, I pray that you would just set me aside and that you would speak that your Holy Spirit through the words of the word of God, would move people's hearts, God, that you would prick people's hearts and, and, and tickle their ears to hear what they need to hear from your word, God. Not some feel-good message, but conviction of what I need to do to do my part in the Great Commission. It's like what Cezanne said last night. We are here to make a difference in our generation, but we'll never do that by just sitting on the couch. We need to become uncomfortable and give our lives wholly to you, to be used by you. And so, Father, we beg of you to speak to us tonight and show us what we must do to be more like your son. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Tonight, I want to address what our response should be to this missions conference by addressing what I'm going to call the two sides to the missions coin. The two sides to the missions coin. And what I mean by that is that there are actually many right responses that you could make to whatever God might be teaching you this week. But generally, they're going to fall into one of two different categories or two sides to the same coin. And to see these two sides of the coin, I want to look at the life of someone that we normally don't study when we're talking about missions. This might seem a little bit weird at first, but I hope that you'll understand when we see the two sides of the missions coin, why we're looking at this man's life. We're going to take a look at the life of Moses tonight. Because Moses is a unique man in history and a unique man in scripture. He's a man with a unique calling. He's a man that God used to do many amazing things. He is a man that God used to lead Israel out of Egypt through many miracles that God performed. He parted the Red Sea. He's a man who led Israel through the wilderness for 40 years. He's a man who the Bible says pastored Israel in the wilderness. He's a man who beheld God's glory with his face. He's a man that God talked to as his friend. Moses is a unique man. He's a special man. But I want to begin by looking at the beginning of Moses's life. Not all the way, not the baby in a basket part, but prior to the let my people go part, okay? So right in between baby in a basket and let my people go is where we're going to be at. And what we're going to see here is the first side of the coin. And number one, the first side is some will be called to go. Some will be called to go. Now I know what you're thinking, I don't want you to mishear me. I don't want you to think that I'm saying, well, 
if I'm not called to go, then I don't have anything to do. Just, we'll get to that. But some will be called to physically go and to get up and leave their current address and change it for the gospel's sake. And this is important because I'm sure that some of you, especially maybe some teens or some young adults, are feeling in this conference that you are called to go or that God is calling you to go someday. Maybe you're not sure, like me back in 2012, if it's to be an international missions work, but maybe you're feeling that God is calling you to ministry or being a pastor or just to do something greater for him. Maybe you felt called to go already in the past and this conference is just making you more anxious to get the heck out of here. I don't know. But some of us will be called to go. After all, Matthew 28, 19 and 20 gives us the great commission and what does he say? He says, go ye therefore, and teach all nations. Mark 16, 15 reiterates it. He says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Going is essential in the Great Commission. We have to go. And some of us will literally, physically move our families, whether it be out of the country or out of the state or out of the city, to do what God has called us to do. So if you feel called to go, what should you do? That's the question. I was in your spot. If that's you, you feel that. I, I feel God working in me, or I felt that a couple years ago, and I still am just not sure if I, if I misheard God's call on my life or, or, or if he's using me at all. What, what do I do? Well, first of all, for those of you who don't necessarily feel called to vocational ministry, don't tune out. Because like I said earlier, God has called us all to do some things. And we'll see that later. But for those of you who feel God calling you to a life of ministry service that maybe even would lead someday to you changing your address for the gospel, let me offer to you how God worked in the life of Moses, a man with a huge calling from God. Because before there's ever a man or a woman who does something great for the Lord, there's a burden. That's letter A, a burden. Moses simply had a burden. We see that back in Exodus chapter 2. Starting in verse 11, it says, It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian, spiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. You guys know this story. Moses, baby in a basket deal, grows up in Pharaoh's house, but he knows who he is, and he goes out one day after he's grown, and he sees an Egyptian smiting his Hebrew brother, and he looks this way and that way, and he goes and he kills that Egyptian. Now, we know that this wasn't just a random act of aggression by Moses because in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, who's going to be martyred for his faith, is preaching a message summarizing much of the Old Testament for us. And he gives us a little more revelation on Moses and his story. In Acts chapter 7, take a look at verse 22. It says that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that by God, or that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. What the martyr Stephen 
reveals for us is that Moses didn't just kill this Egyptian because he felt like it. He had a burden from God. It says in verse 23 that it came into his heart to visit his brethren. He wanted to deliver them. It said in verse 25, he supposed his brethren would have understood that God by his hand would deliver them. But they didn't understand that. It came into his heart. He had a burden. He desired to deliver Israel. It was a burden that God gave him when he saw the need. And so what I want to share with you tonight, first of all, about a burden, is a burden starts with a stirring in your heart from God. It's quite simple. Seeing the need often translates to a stirring in our hearts to do something to try and rectify the situation. Why do so many people who go for the first time on a short-term missions trip come back and all of a sudden they want to adopt a kid from that country or send a bunch of money to it? Because they see a need and God stirs their heart. They, They want to do something. They want to be a part of the solution. Sometimes we just need to see. Maybe some of you need to save money and trust the Lord and go on a short-term missions trip this year. Not because God's going to use you necessarily to do something amazing, but he's going to work in you to give you a burden and to stir your heart for his mission. Maybe you just need to see the field and God will stir up your heart with a burden. When God needed resources for the building of the tabernacle in Exodus 35, we'll actually see this more a little bit later tonight. It says that they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone who, whom his spirit made willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation. Why? Because their heart stirred them up when they saw the need. After all, it's God who works inside of you to do his will, is it not? Philippians 2.13 says, It is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so when God stirs up your heart because you see a need, that's a burden. God's placing a burden on, in your heart that you, you don't know what to do with necessarily. Moses didn't know what to do with it. We'll see that in a second. But you have this burden. You see a problem. You see what, the God, what God's mission is, and you want to be a part of it. Your heart's been stirred up. A burden is a good thing. It's seeing or understanding a need or a problem and desiring to be a part of of the solution. You know, when I was 16 years old and I was going to, our youth group was called 180 back then, and we had a really thriving youth group in, in high school, and some middle schoolers were coming to it, and the youth pastor would have to tell them, listen guys, you can't come here. We have a middle school ministry elsewhere for you. And I just, for some reason, I just felt burdened, like, oh man, why don't those kids want to go to the middle school ministry? Our middle school ministry wasn't bad, but I just felt burdened. I was like, I want to I serve middle schoolers somehow. I, wanna, I would love to be a youth pastor someday when I was 16. That's a good burden to have. I didn't know what to do with it. But I felt a burden to reach kids who didn't know where their place was, who didn't know the Lord. But here's what you have to understand, Christian. A burden is only the beginning of God using you. Because when Moses acted upon his burden with just his zeal alone, what happened? He did it wrong. He acted in his flesh, and he killed someone. A burden that's acted upon with only a youthful zeal results in destruction. That's what we see from Moses' life. A a burden that is acted upon with only a youthful zeal results in destruction. It results in unnecessary casualties. Because the word of God is quick, and it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, right? Right? And in the hand of an experienced surgeon, it can dissect and it can heal. But in the hand of an unexperienced, zealous youth, it can destroy and it can hurt many innocent bystanders. And so, 
A youthful zeal isn't enough. A burden isn't enough. It's only the beginning. Moses wasn't ready. He wasn't mature enough to carry the burden he received from the Lord. And that's why a burden leads to letter B, preparation. Preparation. It has to. Moses needed to be prepared. He needed some proving before he would be ready to accomplish what God was calling him to do. For Moses, it was going to be a, him being a fugitive from the law for 40 years on the backside of the desert for circumstances of his own creating when he killed a man. But he went through 40 years of living in the desert that would prove to be his preparation. Exodus 2.15, when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled, right? Acts 7.29, then flows, uh, there you go. Then fled Moses at this saying, and he was a stranger in the land of Midian where he begat two sons. And when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in the flame of fire in a bush. So Moses, according to scripture, was in the wilderness for 40 years before this encounter with God with the, the burning bush. Have you ever thought about Moses' 40 years in the desert, not just as hiding from Pharaoh, but as being proved by God? Have you ever thought about that? Because Moses wasn't ready to deliver Israel yet. When he did it of his own power and in his own flesh, there was casualties. He killed a man. It wasn't God's plan. He just had the burden. So what preparation does is it equips the man for the mission. That's what it does. God has given you a burden, young man, young woman. Great, good for you. But you need to be prepared because you're not prepared. I know you think you are. I was younger once too, and I had a burden from God, and I thought I was ready to go. I wasn't. Neither was Moses. When Moses acted on this burden, he showed his youthfulness, his immaturity, his lack of experience, because he, he acted out of anger and, and aggression. He was destructive. You know what he wasn't ready to do? He wasn't ready to shepherd a million-plus people through the wilderness. He never had to lead anyone before. So God sent him to the desert for 40 years to learn how to shepherd sheep, to learn patience, to learn humility, to learn meekness. If you're a young person tonight, well, regardless of your age, really, but if you feel burdened tonight to do something great for God, that's awesome. But chances are, you're not ready. It's not an indictment. It's just objective fact. You're probably not ready. You lack experience. You probably lack some patience. You probably lack some things that God needs you to have to do whatever he's burdening you to do. And so for me, it wasn't necessarily 40 years in the desert to learn humility and patience. But you know what? I did spend two years working at this church scrubbing toilets. <laughs> it's like 40 years in the wilderness right there, man. <laughs> scrubbing toilets, you know, that there's a lot of stinking toilets in this church too. Too many, really. And you spend two years doing that, and then you get to come up on the stage and preach God's word. And you know what God reminds you of? You're just a toilet scrubber. It's not a joke. You have to be humble. You don't get up here in pride and think that God needs you. God doesn't need you. He doesn't. He wants to use you. And so he needs to break you and make you realize that you can't do anything apart from him. And when he's done that, then you're being prepared. And that's what God was doing in Moses. There are some things, young man, young woman, that God needs you to learn. There are some things that God needs you to experience. But that's okay. Because God as well as the pastors of this church, don't want you to run out into the world unprepared and do damage to yourself, your family, other people, the lost world. Do damage to the name of Christ because you don't know what you're doing. 
That's why desiring the office of a bishop is a good thing, but it's not everything. 1 Timothy 3.1 says that this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. That's great. But the Bible also tells us that we don't ordain or send a novice or a rookie. 1 Timothy 3.6 says not a novice. And by the way, in 1 Timothy 3, we see the character qualities of a pastor or a bishop. And it says not a novice. Why? Lest being lifted up with what? Pride. He fall into the condemnation of the devil. 1 Timothy 5 tells us something similar. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of the other men's sins. So we don't send rookies, we don't send novices. So what do I do with this burden? Well, you take that burden seriously and you allow God to prepare you for whatever it is that he wants you to do. There were times in my preparation process, I'll be honest with you, where I felt like God was holding out on me. I'll just be honest with you. And I'll even confess that there were times that I felt like my pastors were too. But they weren't. They were protecting me. They were preparing me. Everything, guys, everything that I've learned and experienced here has made me the man that God needs me to be for what I will experience when I'm on the mission field. The burden that he gave me in 2012 when I was kneeling on these steps and felt like God was calling me to a life of missions. He said, okay, but I need to prove you first. I've got some things to teach you, and I need to see how you're going to react. That's the idea. I've learned leading and shepherding and patience and grace, humility, preaching, teaching, all of those things. But you know what? Through the bad things, I've learned things. Through friends leaving and disciples turning your backs on you and division and storms in your personal life, all of that shapes you to be the man or the woman that God needs you to be for whatever burden he's calling you to. That's how he works. You know, there's, I've seen this pattern in my life unfolded several times. I desired to be, uh, to be a youth pastor um, when I was 16, and I took over the middle school uh, extreme when I was 22. That's more than a couple months, right? Um, I desired to be a youth pastor when I was 16. I didn't come on staff till I was 24. That's eight years that God was working in me. I desired to be a missionary in 2012. We're hoping to move in 2020. Things don't happen quickly because God is preparing you to be who he needs you to be. You're not ready today for what he has for you in the future. But if you'll prepare and you'll let him prepare you, you'll get there. The burden comes first, then the preparation. The burden is what drives you to prepare because preparation takes time. Moses wasn't ready, but you know what? Neither was Israel. After Moses killed the Egyptians, did the Israelites rally behind them and say, Our deliverer, Moses? No. You know what happened? Look back at Acts chapter 7. After he killed the Egyptian, it says, The next day he showed himself unto them as they strove, the Hebrews. And he would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, you are brethren. Why do ye wrong one to another? He wanted to lead them. He had a burden to lead his brothers. But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Would thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Israel wasn't ready for them to lead him to for him to lead them either. God has timing for these kind of things. Moses wasn't ready to lead Israel. Israel wasn't ready for Moses. And that's why God needed to prepare and to prove and to perfect him before sending him. And God uses in his word this illustration of a gold or a silversmith in reference to purifying and proving his people. In Proverbs 17 and verse 3, uh, it, it says this, The fining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord, he trieth 
the hearts, right? And so what happens when a silversmith or a goldsmith is going to purify that, that metal? Well, he puts it in a pot and he heats it up, the refining pot, right? And as he heats it up, the impurities float to the top, and then he scrapes off the dross, those impurities, and it's a little more pure. And they'll do this several times. He turns up the heat, the impurities float to the top, he scrapes it off, the metal's more pure. First Peter 1 tells us that that is how God is working in us. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And so when God is preparing you for what he wants you to do, whatever that may be, he'll turn up the heat. And you know what? That hurts <laughs> when the heat is turned up in your life, doesn't it? It doesn't feel good when the heat is turned up in tribulations and storms, try your patience and try your faith. I've been there. It's not fun. And when impurities float to the top in your life, that doesn't feel good either. <laughs> because when God turns up the heat, all of these imperfections float to the top that you're like, whoa, where did that come from? I, I knew about these things that I was hiding from everyone, but what about these things? Where did that come from? It's because God's boiling those impurities to the top of your life. They get to the surface, and then you know what? He scrapes them off. That doesn't feel good. But if you let God do this over and over again, you know what happens when he looks into that pot? He can see himself a little more clearly. You get conformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what happens. It results in a more pure lump of gold. And so you need to be willing to ask God to do this to you like David. In Psalm 139 and verse 23, and David said, Search me, O God, and know my, hurt, my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David says, Lord, bring it on. Refine me. Make me more like you. Try me. Search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me because I don't want it. Most of us are too scared to ask God to do this because when he brings it to the top, we're not going to do anything about it. But David said, show me what's wrong so that I can get rid of that because I want to be more like you. I want to be more usable for you. So this refining process serves two purposes. It prepares the man of God for the mission, but it also filters out the phonies. This one might be a little bit more hard to, a little harder to hear. Because preparation and, and the refinement of God, yes, it'll prepare you for God if you let it, but it'll also filter out the fakes. Many Christians have a burden. That shouldn't be surprising. Many Christians at the beginning are zealous to serve the Lord, but when they find out that it will take time and work to become the person God needs them to be before they can go do it, many flake out. They prove themselves to be posers, to be phonies. God's refining process doesn't play favorites, you know that? God's preparation is actually quite equal. <laughs> if you're used to being the favorite in high school, you know God doesn't play favorites. God, God doesn't play favorites. And his refining preparation process bears out. The cream will always rise to the top. Those who stick it out and push through and submit to God and allow him to work in them will make it to the other side. Those who are lazy or selfish or flesh, fleshly won't. It's that simple. They'll move to other churches who don't require faithfulness. They'll find other churches to hire them that only require a resume and not refinement. But they'll never accomplish anything great for God. They'll only leave destruction and casualties in their wake because they wouldn't let God prepare them to be who he needed them to be. They just wanted a vocation. 
They just wanted to lead people. But they didn't want God to make them more like him. See, there's this principle in 2 Timothy 2 that talks about vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. A vessel is just a container. That's all it is, like a pot. Something like that. And in 2 Timothy 2.20 it says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. So in this context here, you need to understand that vessels of dishonor are not lost people, because all these vessels are in the house. They're in the house. So in the house, you have vessels of honor, vessels of dishonor. But some of these vessels, you know, they're used for honorable things. I have many vessels in my house. I mean, I've got coffee mugs that hold coffee. My wife has about three billion Tupperwares that we use like three of. (laughs) Um, I've got buckets in my garage that I wash the cars with. And I've got this big uh, porcelain vessel in this one room that's used for something. It's not a vessel of honor, but it is necessary. <laughs> Some vessels, containers, are ornate golden chalices in the hand of the king. Some are wooden pots that are used to wash dirty clothes. Which do you want to be? You're in the house, Christian. What do you want to be used for by God? Do you want to be meat for the master's use and prepared unto every good work? You want to do something great for God? Well, allow him to prove and prepare you and to purge out those impurities because he'll make you a vessel of honor that's meet for the master's use. And you can't compare yourself to someone else. That's what you got to be wary of. Everyone has a different timeline. Some people, it might take 40 years on the backside of the wilderness to make them ready. You know, Moses had a bigger calling than most people ever will have in the world. It took him 40 years to get ready for that. It might take you six or eight or ten. It doesn't matter because God is preparing you for what he has for you. So don't compare yourself with others because he's preparing you for the mission he has for you to do. And if you'll make it through to the end and not flame out during the preparation process, he'll actually send you. He actually will. So let her see we have the sending. You have a burden. You have preparation. that lasts however long it needs to take. And then you have the sending. After 40 years of preparation, God visits Moses in the form of a burning bush, and he finds a completely different man. Let's look at the transformation of God's servant. 40 years in the wilderness, the transformation of God's servant. It says in Exodus 3 and verse 1, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I've seen it too, Moses. 
And I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now therefore and I will send thee, here's the sending, unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This was the burden that Moses had to deliver his brothers and sisters. And God, after 40 years, is saying, okay, go do it now. You know what his response is? Look at verse 11. Moses said unto God, who am I? Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Look at that transformation. Moses is a different person. Moses, this man who killed an Egyptian in his flesh, desiring to deliver Israel, is now being audibly sent by the voice of God Almighty to act on his burden. And his response is, who am I? That's exactly right, Moses. You're nobody. You're a shepherd. But now you're humble. You're patient. God can use you. Now, Numbers 12, 3 tells us that he's meek. The man Moses was very meek, meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Maybe he didn't possess that quality before. But now God has worked in him and prepared him to be who God needs him to be. Because he's going to go through 40 years in the wilderness with men and women murmuring at him every day. Saying, when are we getting to where we're going? And God needed him to be a patient, humble, a shepherd, meek. And he prepared him. And when he sent him, he said, God, I'm not ready. You know what's pretty ironic? You know what's funny about God? I've experienced this in my life. Maybe some of you have too. Often when we finally feel that we're not adequate to do what God has called us to do, we're finally ready for him to use us. It's crazy. Back in 2012, I felt like I was doing jumping jacks, saying, here I am, send me, Lord. And now I'm like, God, there's no way I can do this. What am I doing? He's like, you're exactly right. Now you're ready, man. Now I can work through you because you can't do it, Kale. I have to do it. I want to use you. That's how it works, Christian. But you have to submit to the preparation of God. Yes, I know Moses argued with God. He needed to have more faith. I get that. That's not what we're focusing on tonight. I want you to notice the transformation of pre-desert Moses to post-desert Moses. Pre-desert Moses was driven by anger. Post-desert Moses, when he goes to do what God has him to do, he's driven by faith. Before he was empowered by his flesh, now he's empowered by God. Before he was aggressive, now he's meek. He's a different man because God prepared him to be the man he needed him to be, to do the mission he had for him. He gave him the burden first to drive him to prepare. I wonder if Moses had never felt a burden to deliver Israel if he would have said yes. Would he ever been in the spot that God had him 40 years on the backside of the desert, he probably didn't feel like he was where he should have been, but he was right in the center of God's will somehow. Man, God was doing a work in him. Christian, I don't know where you're at today, but if you'll submit to what God is doing in your life and obey him one step at a time, it doesn't matter what storms come, you're right in the center of God's will. If you obey him and you submit to his preparing. What we have to do is trust that God will prepare us and send us in his timing. Because we see the perfection of God's timing here. 
Moses wasn't ready to lead Israel. Israel wasn't ready for Moses. But eventually, he was ready, and Moses, or Israel was ready for him. Understanding this principle of God's perfect timing will keep you from being frustrated at God, or even frustrated with your pastors. It's not your pastors that's holding you back, Christian. And listen, I, I say this knowing that there might be other people listening in other places. It's not your pastors holding you back. It's you holding you back. Because you're not what God needs you to be yet. So if you'll just submit to that and know that when God has me ready and he is ready for me, he'll send me. If you'll submit to that, the preparation process will be a lot easier. You'll be a lot less frustrated. If you trust that God will send you in his timing, you don't have to worry about getting a job as a pastor or something like that. He'll send you, under the authority of the local church, by the way, when he and you are ready. When... I was younger and I desired to be a youth pastor and I wasn't yet. There were two times that there was a youth pastor vacancy here at First Baptist Church and I got passed over. Even after being talked to about it, I wasn't just thinking, well, I wonder if they'll ask me and then they never did. It was like they talked to me and they didn't hire me. And you know what? I, I prayed to God and, and, and I was frustrated. And I, felt, I even said to him one time, like, I feel like you're dangling a carrot in front of me and you keep taking it away. Why would you do that? Well, it wasn't his timing for me. I wasn't ready, but you know what? It wasn't the best timing either because guess what? When I did finally become the youth pastor and I was ready for that thing that God was preparing me for, I got to help us build this youth building back here and, and bring the youth over from the old building to the new building and rebrand it and do all these amazing things that I wouldn't have gotten to do several years before. I wasn't ready and the ministry wasn't ready. The church wasn't ready. And so what I realized in hindsight was, wow, maybe I should have just trusted God. Maybe it wasn't the pastor saying no to me. Maybe it was God saying, no, you're not ready. And if we can realize that as, as sons and daughters of God, we will frustrate ourselves less and we will frustrate our pastors less. <laughs> I promise you that. Listen, when I, in 2012, when I surrendered my life to missions, I wasn't ready for that yet. God proved me. He put me through a lot of different things. The whole crone story that I've told you guys before. He, he proved me. He built my faith. And he, he made me where I needed to be. And in Acts 7.35, when Moses was finally ready, we see that Israel was ready too. Because it says in Acts 7.35, this Moses whom they refused saying, who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to unto him in the bush. So there was a time when they were finally ready because God then used him to do that. God is not just preparing you. He's preparing the work too. You gotta keep that in mind. So let me ask you this. What burden has God given you? Will you let him prepare you and prove you and just trust his timing to send you? Because if you do, you'll be more effective less destructive, and if you don't, you'll end up just being another phony, or you'll fizzle out along the way, or you'll leave a path of destruction, or you'll never just get to fully enjoy living out the calling and the burden that God has placed in your heart. Now let's change gears a little bit, because I, I do believe that God will place some sort of a burden in every Christian's heart. I believe that. I, I think God's going to place a burden in every single person's heart to do something for him. Like we said earlier, some will be called to physically go. Others won't. But God desires to place the burden of the Great Commission in everyone's heart in some form or fashion. So the second side to the missions coin is this. Some will be called to go, but all are called to give. All are called to give. What you're called to give, well, 
There's a lot of things we're called to give. But I want you to see this. Sticking with this theme of Moses, I, I want to fast forward a few years um, after he leads them out. He's leading them through the wilderness. And in Exodus 35, what we see is the beginnings of the building of the tabernacle. We referenced it a little bit earlier. And so in Exodus 35 in verse 4, it says that Moses spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it, an offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass. And then in the next verses from verse 6 all the way down to verse 19 or 20, he lists all the resources that they need to build the tabernacle. Many precious metals and, and animal skins and all these things that need to be done and money that they need to build the tabernacle where God is going to dwell. And so God has Moses taking up the very first building fund offering here in Exodus 35. And, and the work of the Lord needs to be funded to build this tabernacle. And he specifically mentions how people should give. He says, of a willing heart. Of a willing heart, letter A. How, well, how did Israel respond? When we jump down in the chapter to verse 21, it says, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up. Oh, that reminds me of a burden that we talked about earlier. Everyone whose heart stirred him up. And everyone whom his spirit made willing. And they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation and for all his service and for the holy garments. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted. And they brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets, all jewels of gold. And every man that offered, offered an offering of gold unto the Lord. Skip down to verse 29. The children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord. Every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses. They offered willingly. Moses didn't twist their arm. He didn't force them. God even said the stipulation for the giving is that you would be willing to do so. And those whose hearts stirred them up, like the burden that we talked about earlier, gave willingly. Did you know that the work of the Lord should be a burden or a passion that we willingly give to? Not a burden like a weight that we begrudgingly bear. There's difference in burdens. There's a burden that's a passion that we want to give to, and then there's this burden that we feel like, okay, well, God tells me to give, so I guess I'll do it. And we just begrudgingly do it. That's not what it's about. We skip to the New Testament and see the same principle in 2 Corinthians 9. The Apostle Paul tells us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And, notice, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. God is able to make grace abound towards you, always having all sufficiency to give and to keep giving. And God loves a cheerful giver who gives from the heart. You guys remember that song in VBS back in the day? We're on a missionary mission. I'm not going to sing the whole thing. We teach our kids from a young age that God loves a cheerful giver who gives from the heart. Not out of necessity, not out of duty, not out of responsibility, because we're willing. Because our heart stirs us up to give to the work of God. And the Bible says that he is going to make all grace abound to you to provide what you need to do so. So brothers and sisters, what I have to tell you is you can't outgive God. I dare you to try. 
You can't outgive him. Because when you give, God supplies your needs so that you can keep giving. And you can't experience the faithfulness of God unless you give of your need. And then you see him provide. And then you give more. And then he provides again. God's a giving God, and he wants us to be giving Christians. But know this, Christian. If you don't give to the work of the Lord, your heart's not in it. You might be a member of this church. You might be a member of whatever church you're going to. If, if you don't routinely tithe of the income that God has graciously afforded you, your heart's not unified with that body of believers. You know, Mark chapter 6, check this out. Verse 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. It's like he could see Laodicea in the far distance or something. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Here's the principle. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So can I ask you where your heart is, Christian? Is it in heaven? With the investments that you're making for eternity? Or is it on the earth, in the temporary toys that are in your driveway, in your garage? Is your heart in this church? Are you giving towards the eternity? Okay, maybe you do tithe to this church. Wonderful. Do you give to missions? Jeff was talking about faith, promise, giving. We don't just take all the, the tithes at this church that God gives us and then, and then take 10% of that. Some churches do, and that's fine. You know what we do? We, by faith to God, say we're going to tithe, and then we're going to take more of our own pockets and give it to a separate missions budget that's completely different, has nothing to do with the regular budget of this church. Have you ever done that? If you don't give the missions, guess what? Your heart won't love what God loves. Notice the verse doesn't say where your heart is, there will your treasure be. Notice the order of that verse. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You don't love what you invest in. You invest in what you love. It, this is how it works. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What you give money to is where your heart will be. And when you start investing in God's mission, your heart will follow your wallet. It's this weird thing. <laughs> your heart follows your wallet. It's like God knew that that's what would happen. You might say, oh, I can't afford to tithe. Yes, you can. My goodness. Parents, we need to teach our children to tithe to the work of the Lord. I've said this story before, but my mother taught me to tithe when I was a little kid and we were poor. We got an allowance every other week of $1, and my mom gave it to us in dimes. And she taught us, these nine dimes are for you, but one dime is for God. And I put my little dime in the little offering envelope, and I gave it whenever I got it. And you know what? That little thing that my mom taught me, I've never not given to God. I'm not saying that to be boastful. I'm just saying my mom taught me at a young age, and I just never didn't do that. When I started making minimum wage in high school working at Wendy's, I gave 10%. It, it didn't matter what my career was. I learned from a young age to give 10% to God. And because I did that, I loved God's work, and I loved God's church. I've grown up loving this church because I've always invested in it. My parents taught me that. Are you teaching your kid that? Are you demonstrating it for them? Oh, I tithe, but I can't afford to give the missions, man. You don't understand. Well, can you afford to give Starbucks 10 bucks a week? Sorry. Can you afford to pay the gym membership you don't use? <laughs> man, I make a monthly donation to Planet Fitness. I should go down sometime, see how they're doing. <laughs> man, can you afford six bucks for Hulu every month and 10 bucks for Netflix and 10 bucks for Amazon Prime? 
We can afford whatever we want to afford. Right, Laodicea? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Many of us don't love missions. Here's the dirty truth, because we don't give to missions. If you'll just start giving by faith, your heart will go there. God's word promises that. When Jeff first introduced faith promise giving back in the day, I'll just be honest with you. I'll be transparent with you. I was, we were uh, brand new married. We were like 21 years old. I made 10 bucks an hour. My wife made like eight. So between the two of us, we almost made a decent salary for one person. <laughs> and you know what? Jeff introduced this principle, and we're like, wow, we should. We should give above our tithe to God. We didn't have much. So we just started giving an extra 10 bucks out of each pay. It doesn't sound like much, but it was to us. And God knew that. And we started to care about missions because we started giving to it. And you know what we did? We would occasionally just give a little bit more and give a little bit more. And then after a couple years, two 20-something-year-olds were giving the equivalent of a car payment every month to missions. And we didn't make squat. But we started giving and we trusted the Lord and our heart was in it. And we went and saw the mission field and we gave more. It's not that we're rich. We just gave to what God loves. And we started to love it too. When we started giving to God's mission, our hearts ended up there. So don't give excuses as to why you can't give to missions, friends. We're all in this thing together. But this is Laodicea. And I want to do this illustration for you just so that it sits in a little bit more. Because I know that some of you are saying, man, I'm not rich. I, I get it. In this context, you aren't. But in the context of the world, you're incredibly rich. There's this website that's called uh, givingwhatwecan.org. You can check it out when you go home. And they have this thing called, how rich am I calculator? You want some conviction? <laughs> Here, let me give you just a few examples. I did this math just with their little calculator. If your household has two adults and two kids, and you have a combined income of about 60 grand, which isn't that crazy, you're in the richest 6.4% of the world's population. You make 16 times more than the global average. If your household has two adults and two kids and a combined income of just 40,000, you're in the richest 11.3% of the world's population. And you make 10 times more than the global average. How about single adults? Maybe you're single, you graduated college, you started your profession you went to college for. You're single, but maybe you're making 30 or 40 grand a year. You're single, living by yourself. Guess what? Because you don't have anyone living in you, you're in the richest 2% of the world. You make 29 times the global average. What about teenagers? Teenagers, if you make minimum wage in the state of Ohio and you make $8.55 per hour and you work about 20 hours a week, you're in the richest 17% of the world. You, you make six times the global average working at freaking Wendy's. But I don't have enough to give. Empty nesters. Maybe you're just someone, my kids grew up and, you know, I'm at the peak of my career and I'm making the most I ever have. No kids at home, just me and my spouse. Maybe we make around $100,000. You're literally the richest 1% in the world. Guys, I don't know what Hollywood's warning us about, about the 1%. We are the 1%. America's the 1%. But we don't have enough to give to what God loves. We're gonna be judged for that someday. So don't tell me you can't afford to give to missions. Just give what you can. Because we need a change of heart, Laodicea. We need God to anoint our eyes with eye salve. We're blind and naked and poor. We need to love what God loves and give to what God loves. After all, he's the one who's blessed us, has he not? And allowed us to have the riches that we have. You had no choice in being born in this country. You just happen to live here. 
And you get to benefit from the awesome privileges that we have here and the opportunities that we have here. It's wonderful. But use what God's blessed you with to reach people with his, his, his gospel and with the kingdom of God. Be a willing and a cheerful giver to the Lord's work. That conviction you're feeling right now is not to make you give of necessity or grudgingly. It's to make you be a cheerful giver because we haven't been doing enough. We've gotten comfortable. What happens when you do that? Well, let her be. There's more than enough. Exodus chapter 36. <laughs> Every pastor of a church somewhere, this is his dream. <laughs> it says in Exodus 36 and verse 3 that they received of Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it withal. And they brought yet unto him free offerings every morning. And all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary came every man from his work which they made. And they spake unto Moses saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp. Saying, let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing For the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it, and too much. Man, that ain't ever going to happen here. Or could it? Or could it? What a problem to have. The people were so willing to give to the work of the Lord that they had too much. They had more than enough. Listen, taking the gospel to the world might seem like an impossible task, but if everyone in this local assembly, let alone the other local assemblies in the world, if everyone here gave what they could willingly, we'd have more than enough. Because God blesses it, and he uses it. You don't think you have much, but if you give it to God, he can use it. Remember the young boy who had the five loaves and the two fishes, and he gave it to God, and he blessed it, and he fed over 5,000 people with it? It wasn't much, but in God's hands, it was everything. It was more than enough. So if you'll take whatever you have and just say, Lord, this is yours. You blessed it with me. Let me give it back to you anyway. He will give you more, the sufficiency you need to keep giving, and he'll bless it, and he'll use it to change the nations. Man, it's an amazing thing. Because it's not just about the money. Let me fill you in. God has all the money. Giving benefits you. It benefits me. It transforms our hearts to make us love what God loves. And you know what? It even benefit, benefits you in the final accounting of fruit. Philippians chapter 4, Paul's telling the Philippians that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Paul was a missionary, and the Philippian church wanted to give to the work gladly. He says, for even in, Thessalonica, uh, for even in Thessal Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desired a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So listen, I mean, it's weird for me to get up here and say, hey, will you give to what we're doing? But I'm not asking you to give to my income. I'm asking you to give for fruit that will abound to your account. That's the point. This 30000 that we're raising that I know the Lord's going to provide to do this camp is fruit that abounds to your account. Giving benefits you. God's not just a taker. He's a giver, and he wants us to be givers too. It, it benefits the entire body of Christ because we're all the body of Christ working together. Yes, some are going to be called to physically go, but we're all called to give. And your giving is a part of this church's going as a whole. It's not that some are called to go and the rest of us are called to stay. 
No, those who are stay are to hold the rope back home for those who go. And we hold the rope by praying and giving and willingly giving to what God is doing. And when we do this willingly, God will have more than enough to work with. I promise you that. So back to my first question for you. What should my response be to this missions conference? Well, what's God working in you? What's your next step? Are you feeling called to go? Do you have a burden on your heart to be in ministry, to be a missionary? Well, what you need to do is submit to biblical preparation through this church. You need to trust God's timing and his process. You need to be faithful and to be fruitful and to give here. Because if you don't do that here, why would you ever do that somewhere else? So be faithful here. Let God prepare you here. Maybe, do you lack a burden? I don't have a specific burden. Start giving. Just start giving. God will give you one. Start giving to what God is doing, and your heart will knit with his. Give to Hungary, and you'll care about what's happening in Hungary. That's just how it works. Then you'll have a burden for what God is burdened for. Remember, we all need to give, because the heart of the gospel is giving. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God is a giving God. We need to be giving Christians. So really, your response is dependent upon what you need to give. Maybe you need to just start simply by simply giving a tithe. Lord, I've been robbing you of tithes and offerings. I need to give you what's rightfully yours. Maybe you need to start giving above that to missions or challenge yourself to give more to missions. I don't know. Maybe you need to give into what God is calling you to because you've just been too comfortable and too complacent. Maybe you need to give into biblical preparation and have patience in God's process to prepare you for what he's burdened you to do. Maybe you've been holding something back and you need to just give God all of you. Maybe it's not just the money. Maybe you've just been holding yourself back and you just need to be all in and give it, give God all of you. See, as Christians, when we got saved, we gave our lives to Jesus Christ in exchange for his eternal life. So we need to stop holding the pieces back and be all in. So have you been holding back from God? Whether it be submission or finances, or obedience, whatever it is. Have you been giving out of your abundance instead of your wants? I want to leave us here with Mark chapter 12. It says that Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. Many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. It ain't much. And he called unto him his disciples and saith unto him, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. That doesn't make sense, God. She literally threw in less. He says, no, in my economy she threw in more. You know why? For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Have you been giving? I, I'm not even just saying financially. Financially, yes, but what have you been giving to the Lord of your time, of your obedience, of your faith, of your service to him? Have you just been giving of your abundance? Or have you been giving of your wants, of your need? Maybe today you'd say, well, I don't give because I don't have much. Then give what you have. Trust God, like in this passage. That means more to God than a rich man giving out of his abundance because he has a lot. You don't even know. Maybe if you start with what you have now and you give, maybe God will trust you with more later because he knows he can trust you. I don't know. 
Seems like that's a principle somewhere in Scripture, being faithful with a little and then being faithful with much later. So here's what I want to do tonight as we wind down. I want to, uh, we're going to pass the plate, and Jeff's going to come up at, in a minute after I pray and ex- explain to you the offering and all that stuff. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine this altar down here as a giant offering plate, okay? Just imagine this as a giant offering plate, and I'm going to pray, and the worship band's going to play a final song. But if you've been holding something back from God in your life, would you just come down here and place yourself in the offering plate and say, God, I'm sorry, I've been holding back. I need to give you all of me. You're calling me to missions. You're calling me to prepare. You're calling me to give more. You're calling me to give and I haven't been giving because I I think I need what I have, but I haven't been trusting you to provide for my need. Would you just come down here and bend your knee down here and put yourself in the offering plate and say, Lord, it doesn't matter what it is. My money, my life, my family, my future, it's yours. It's yours. You know, if every person in First Baptist Church would do that, I don't even know what God could do. I don't even know what God would do. It would be amazing to see. If God's working in you, will you put your family, will you put your life in the offering plate? Or are you just gonna keep holding that back and saying, well, I like my life, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable with where I'm at. Well, that's great. Keep playing the church game. Or do you want God to use you to do mighty works for his name's sake? And we're gonna take that financial offering for hungry. But would you place yourself in the offering plate? Because that's what God wants. It's not about the amount. It's about the obedience. It's about your heart being willing to give. Financially and obediently and faithfully giving of your life and your family. Let's pray. Father, I, I come to you and it's not an easy message to preach because you've been preaching at me this entire week as I've been preparing it. And uh, oddly enough, that message was prepared before either Brett or Cezanne spoke, and I feel like only you could do something like that and work these things together to accumulate into where we're at right now. I, I don't know where everybody's at tonight, but I pray that you're working in their hearts. Lord, I, I hope they understand that I speak this out of love because it's exactly where I was at years ago. And I needed to come down here and realize I was holding back. I was holding back parts of my life I wasn't willing to give you. And when I came and I gave my entire life into the offering plate at your altar, that's when you started to prepare and work in me. And now we're getting ready to go. And I put my family and my, my son in the offering plate. And, I'm, and I just gotta trust you, Lord, because I, I don't know what's gonna happen. We're just trusting you. And I just pray that everyone in here could know that feeling of faithfully stepping out and trusting you with everything. Because when you come through, it's so amazing to watch. Then when we're just trusting ourselves for everything in our own power, in our own flesh. So God, I pray that you would bless the, the, the financial offering to Hungary and that you would raise the money that we need, regardless of the amount, the money that we need to do this camp. You know what we need, Lord. I pray that you would work in that way. And Lord, I pray that you would work in everyone's life, that they would just give of themselves, quit holding back, give their entire life to you to be used by you. Lord, I love you, and it's in your son Jesus Christ's name that I pray. Amen.